Scuba Obsessed is a weekly netcast where we talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba in the news. Scuba Obsessed episode 93 was recorded live December 8th, 2011. like to welcome you back to scuba obsessed this week in the news we have uh, underwater repairs allow ship to sail best way to tenderize meat and uh, we also have some offerings in uh, a uk river so i'd like to welcome as always at least recently uh my co-host mac how you doing today mac doing really good uh gets a little warmer out there uh, it'll please me just a little more but uh, we haven't had snow. Uh, we, we missed that last big batch on the east side of the state. Uh, they got nailed with a little bit of white stuff. Yeah, when you said we missed it, I didn't miss it one darn bit. <laughs> yeah, it was okay that we didn't get it. They kept warning. My kids are a little disappointed, but that's okay. They'll get over it. There's a couple of the small lakes already getting some skim ice on it. Yep, I've noticed so. the bigger bodies of water are starting to get that skim ice forming. Yeah. Yep, some of the the little ponds and these little uh, farm areas actually got ice across them. But uh, it's just waiting for that snow to come. And it won't be long now at all. We could be any day a little bit of the white stuff. Now, how do you yeah, think I, this is uh, leaning towards uh, having open water for New Year's Eve? Well, that's what I'm trying to figure out. Um, just got a little note from Mary Beth because we were going to go out this week. And then I had a little accident, so we were grounded this week or at least maybe until this weekend. And uh, I wanted to get out and see what kind of cold we had out there. I, mean, I know the temperature has been averaging in the in the high 30s, so it's what I expected the river to be. So high 30s? Yeah, but uh, I've been checking the river here, and the current has been extremely fast. Visibility, even in the Bay Area, is Braille, uh, and it's also high water. So yeah. I was hoping to have a couple more good days where it would flatten out, you know, no more wind like we had been. I don't know if you were aware of it. Um, you know, the big freighter that came in the river last uh, Tuesday? Yes. It, you know, it, it went aground? No. Yeah. Uh, it took a while to get out, and they figured they've lost at least five feet of depth. And remember all those big storms we had in a row that had the uh, 15 and 20-foot seas? Yes. It appears that it brought all the sand in the channel and started blocking it. So if they can't uh, dredge next year, which there is no money for, they won't have any uh, big boat traffic through there. Now, weren't they dredging this year, or was that just out for the construction projects? They did some emergency dredging again, but uh, nothing extensive. Hmm. Yeah, that's not that's not a good sign. So. Nope. But that's what contributed to the lack of visibility. Certainly, it did. That was a real poor visibility. If if our listeners remember, that was. Uh, was that last week's episode we were talking about the turkey dive? Yes. So, yeah, we, ha- we had a little bit. But let's go ahead and get in the news, and then we'll start planning on some dives. Uh, first article up is, uh, and we again, we usually don't cover the negative, but this one is such an unusual story or just a almost a shocking story. I have to cover it. Uh, a missing diver has been found after 26 years. Unfortunately, he wasn't alive. Uh, fishermen found uh, his wetsuit in a net. Uh, this was in Vancouver. Uh, it was a wheelchair-bound scuba diver, Peter DeVoe. Uh, he failed to resurface after a 1985 family dive in Cates Park in North Vancouver. He was 29 when he disappeared and was finally discovered in Burred Inlet a pair, by a pair of commercial fisheries in October. Uh, they identified his remains by the jewelry he wore and telltale marks on his bones from a car accident. His body was surprisingly well-preserved in his full-body scuba suit, or wetsuit as we would probably say. Uh, despite floating in the inlet for almost three decades, decades, uh, his remains are found just west of where he vanished on a dive with his brother on March 13, 1985. His body never floated out of the bay. He was anchored down in the calm waters by his weighted equipment, uh, the coroner said. Um her brother-in-law, uh, Robin DeVoe, said went missing after heading out for a dive with her husband. Peter never came up. It just hasn't hit home yet. Uh, he was a great person. He competed in a wheelchair and was really concerned about other people in wheelchairs. 
according uh, to his family, he was quite an athlete. Uh, for someone with spinal cord injuries, the freedom of being away from the wheelchair uh, in, in regards to diving. So uh, un- unfortunate that it happened, but I'm sure it's great for the family that they finally got the body back. But uh, 30, almost 30 years. That's amazing. Uh, the other articles in there talked about one of the reasons they could not locate him even in that area is one could just fly on the bottom because of the weight and visibility. They didn't have any. Yeah, they said the viz was just not there that day. Uh, but yeah, I, I I wonder how heavily trafficked that area was. You know, in a way, was it kind of like a Gull Lake where people are diving all the time and just nobody came across them, or was it more of a a rare spot, or is the visibility just always slow? I don't, I'd be curious also to know if uh, how deep it was. It really didn't say. And like you were saying, if it was like in a depression area. You know, he could have got there and then really didn't move around. Uh, it, it's quite interesting. Uh, nowadays, with some of the uh, local sheriff department, marine divisions having the side scan, um, it helps minimize this happening like this again, I think. Yeah. So from that, we go into underwater prayer, repair allows a ship to set sail after 150 meter large grounding damage. And this is a, a press release. Uh, the reason why I picked it up is that they, they flew in nine divers uh, to do this work. Um, the It's a 300-meter bulker, which was identified as a length of 150 meters after the grounding. Well, how, how do you get to be 300? You don't shrink. I'm not sure. Well, it was in the Suez Canal. A large crack, one and a half meter long, appeared, uh, which prevented the vessel from being able to move. Uh, to close off the crack, they allowed the vessel to continue on its route. Hydrex, uh, which is the company of the vessel, sent nine men, diver, technician, team to the ocean's location, 21 miles east of, uh, uh, I'm going to say United Arab Emirates. Is that Fajara? Uh, I'm, I'm not even close. Uh, the ship had suffered very extensive grounding damage. Uh, it was on the starboard side of the hull over half the total length. So that must be what they were talking about, uh-huh. uh, 150 feet of damage. Uh and up to six meters deep, uh, compressing the shell plating and seriously weakening the strength of the hull. Okay, so that explains they were talking about the, the type of plating. Luckily, the damage only covered the first three ballast tanks. Uh, if it had reached a fourth tank or the cargo hold, the rest of the ship would have sunk. Um, small cracks were present and there was no leakage allowed them to sail, uh, where unfortunately the large crack appeared. So it looks like they got to port after the customer contacted us. We threw technicians into, uh, into there. They created a repair plan. The leakage was lowered in the fully loaded ship, a draft of 18 meters to 22 meters. Uh, because such water death means shorter diving intervals, a large diving team was immediately mobilized to allow the team to work continuously for 12 hours that they're available each day. Uh, to get the perfect assessment on the shell plating had been compressed, the special frame was made and secured over the damaged area. This allowed the diver technician to get exact measurements of the distorted plating. These measurements were used to create a special coffer dam that would cover the crack and prevent it from growing, growing further. After the coffer dam had been positioned and secured, it was reinforced with stiffeners and fortifications long enough to hold the water pressure. The tank behind the crack was then emptied, bringing the vessel back to its previous draft of 18 meters. Excuse me. The total reinforcement covered the area of uh, 18 uh, square meters combined with the length of the weld was over 500 meters. The operation, when finished, only a few reinforcements were needed to add the inside of the hull to prepare the ship for a journey to China. So That's that's interesting, but, you know, in comparison, the way things have happened in that canal, that, that's a small little story compared to what it had been. Did you realize the canal is about 100, a little over 100 miles long? The average deepest part, I think, is 38 feet. And if you remember during the couple of wars they've had in that area, especially in like 1974 area, that almost entire length of that canal was jammed with sunken ships. Wow. Because of the war. You're talking about not just the ships, but had live artillery, unexploded ordnance ordnance out in the canal. So uh, one little chip, comparatively speaking, (laughs) compared to what they've been through, it's amazing. No, I didn't realize it was that shallow. I don't know. Just when I look at it, I know it's just a, a little tiny spot and that, it, and that a lot of it was man-made. But uh, oh. yeah, I, I, don't know, I don't know why I thought it was deeper. I just figured you would dredge it deeper or something, but 
I guess, I mean, they got plenty of sand over there, so it would, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's no no shortage of sand being able to fill that. And if we think we have problem in the St. Joe River, imagine what the Suez Canal has. Oh, man. Yeah, I really don't know how they do that, you know, how they maintain that and keep it a particular way. There's a little incentive, I would think, to uh, keep that open. Yeah. Interesting place. I, I'd like to, a lot of places that I'd like to dive. That'd be one of them. It'd be interesting. I, I would think so. But at 38 feet deep with super tankers going through there, you probably don't have a whole lot of clearance. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't want to be on the bottom when they went over me. Yeah. But I'd be interested to see what kind of debris you might find out there. Oh, yes. You know, there's all sorts of stuff. Now, on uh, that, that repair they did, uh, did you ever do any sort of uh, commercial repair work when you were a hard hat diver? Yes. Now, is that is that something that we would have done in the Great Lakes? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's not a major. Generally, what we learned is, you know, how to uh, fix the holes. Like if you had a collision, you had a big rip, tear, things like that. It, it's amazing that if it's not really deep, it's really not that hard to do it. And if you're in channels and stuff, it's just a matter of time. So when they were saying a coffer dam, they, they were kind of building uh, like a shell around it to yeah. keep the water back so that they could get a better, I mean, would they have taken the water out of that dam they built that be able to do the weld then? If you're going to, depending on what kind of weld you want, if you, it's best to build a coffer dam and have an air cavity so you can actually do a good weld. Uh, it's been known that you can actually build a, you know, weld a square platform around what you're going to be doing on the ship, evacuate that with water. Now you've got your, an air chamber that you can actually do your welding in and have a lot better weld. Okay. Okay. And then this next one, you know, from uh, tenderizing a ship on to tenderizing some meat, not necessarily scuba related, but uh, I'm always fascinated with, with something else that we could do. Now, this, uh, what they're saying here is that the best, one of the best ways to tenderize meat is an underwater explosion. Uh, you can place your cut of meat in a water tank and then you add just a tiny bit of explosives. Um, this was an article about John Long who applied his expertise to a problem. Uh, instead of chewing it, pounding it, or soaking it in enzymes, he used uh, explosives. Uh, there's a report, uh, what, let me, Hydrodyne Exploding Meat tender, Tenderness, that was published in 1998 by the U.S. Department of Agriculture, describing his act of creating, creating a peacetime use for explosives. Uh, he was a mechanical engineer working with explosives in the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory. His mission as national defense. He always wondered if the explosives could be studied for peaceful ends, like tenderizing meat. Uh, then after more than 10 years of retirements and after the Cold War's end, he pursued the concept in earnest. Uh, by 1998, Long and Solomon were stuffing meat, water, and explosives into a 7,000-pound or 3,180-kilogram steel tank covered with an 8-foot or 2.4-meter steel dome. Uh, he explains this he says, it explains the method. A cut of meat is des desired to be tenderest, is placed under the water within the tank. In view of the tendency of the meat to float, it is necessary to tie the meat in position with a string. A comprehensive pressure wave traveling by a speed higher than a velocity of sound may be generated in the water by a means, such as a charge of high explosives, which supports above the meat, by sustainable means, such as the le leads, which are used to ignite the detonator at high explosives. Uh, he says other nope. scientists took to experimenting beef, pork, chicken, and other things that uh, went boom. This is quite interesting. If you go and Google that, if you do the hydrodynamic shockwave effect on protein functionality, um, that is really interesting because it starts off like bovine samples were divided into four sections randomly assigned to three hydrodynamic shockwave treatment and controls. And then they go through and they tell you the type of explosives, how much, you know, they weighed, the different type of items like beef steaks, 2.54 centimeters thick. And it's really neat. Uh, it's quite interesting. How to cook a hot dog. <laughs> now, now, can you tenderize and cook at the same time? <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but it, 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 it's worth a giggle just to take a look at this document. That is neat. Now, one thing uh, we should warn is uh, and, and hopefully all our listeners uh, would be would be smart enough to figure this out, but do not be in the in the water diving with the explosives. I second that suggestion. 
Yeah, it, it, it'll make you very uncomfortable if you're anywhere near it. Yeah, that would be a, 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 an underwater version of a brown note. <laughs> and this now, next... If you, look, if, if you hadn't had that, though, I'd have missed a great opportunity to look at some other information. <laughs> See, Seriously, that, that report is really interesting. I just thought I'd toss that in there. Yeah. You need to Google some of these a little extra, meaning the other people out there listening. That's a good one. Yeah. It, 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 see, see, there's plenty of things we can do with water. Well, it seems like then you'd use the dynamite to fish with, and then you'll use smaller sections of dynamite to tenderize it. But I don't think you really want to need to tenderize or tenderize fish. <laughs> I imagine if you've, you've harvested the fish with uh, dynamite. Now, that is kind of like catching it and tenderizing at the same time. Well, not as badly, I don't think. I think the type in that little container is a, a lot more pulverized. Oh, yeah. yeah. The, they must be a, a secondary one than using uh, ultrasonics like sonar, because I know you can kill little things with that, too. Well, that'd be interesting, kind of like a little ultrasonic vibration. Yeah. Ultrasonic tenderizers. Nice. So uh, something else that's a little bit unusual under the water is uh, models strutting their stuff in the Atlantis Aquarium. Uh, this they're doing away in uh, like bridal fashions and evening gowns. This is in Dubai. Fashions will be plumbing to new depths with the students of the American University in the Emirates. Launched their debut collection in Atlantis. Uh, the collection features eight cocktail dresses, an abaya, and a bridal gown, and will be modeled underwater with the hotel's 11 million liter aquarium by 10 professional divers. I sort of prefer swimsuit modeling myself. <laughs> I mean, it would capture my attention a little more, I think. Yeah, yeah, but maybe for the for the Arabits, uh, Arabits, uh, United Arabits, Arabits. Gosh, like A A U E. Maybe for them that the, this is racy. <laughs> maybe this is their version of a bikini. For them. For them. <laughs> so. Okay, the next one is, and we, we covered this a few weeks ago before he actually made the world record, but it appears that he has successfully set the new world record for being underwater, saltwater, the longest by a scuba diver. And this was at Lauderdale by the Sea. Uh, he broke the record on Saturday by almost five minutes after spending two days under turbulent seas. A team of divers helped uh, Alan Sherrod. Uh, 45 on the land at 10:25 a.m. As powerful waves rolled into the shore and the sun broke for the overcast sky, he was whisked away to his hotel room uh, for a medical check and a shower. Uh, at one point, they said, "Oh, he said, I don't try to show off. I just break the record." He said after gingerly shuffling in the hotel room for the chair in front of the beach. He dove in at 10:12 uh, a.m. Thursday morning when the sea was flat, but that swiftly changed and conditions deteriorated. He was 250 yards offshore. Uh, let's see. He, was, he clung on an artificial reef that's 250 yards offshore that simulates coral using solar-powered electrical currents. And I think we've covered that in the past where they've got some of these uh, artificial reefs where they're using electricity to s simulate or s stimulate the coral growth. Yeah. Uh, water temperature is about 77 degrees. Uh when his body temperature appeared to drop, team of divers massaged him and helped him swim laps to bring it back up. Uh, the team also hauled air tanks to replenish his air supply every two hours. Uh, the current was so rough that it dragged some divers assisting Sherrod a long distance away. Because if you remember before, wasn't wasn't he doing it where they were having the hard time? Uh, they had to have the fire department come and bring him tanks? Yeah, they were requesting that. Then became much of a, really too much of a hassle. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, as we go through this, I, I cannot imagine him being there by himself. So he must have had relay people be there near him almost all the time because he tried to catch catnaps. And if you took a look at that picture, he's got one heck of a mask squeeze. Or did you notice that? No, I didn't see that. What he is, he, he is uh, like a... Go to that link and his picture oh, on the right yes. side. <laughs> and it's like, okay, what kind of mask did he have? Well, you know, by the looks of that, I mean, doesn't that tell you what he was diving in? That looks like a full face. Oh, yeah, definitely full face. Because uh, yeah, we had communications and stuff, and that way you can, if you did snooze, you'd be okay. But that made me think you would really want to have somebody down there the whole time in a relay, or a lot of the time. So if you did want to catch a couple of Zs, you got somebody to back you up or can watch over you a little bit. 
I, I'm betting he did because, uh, I mean, that would explain the full face mask, wouldn't it? Plus, I'd probably make it a little bit easier if you're going to eat. It said he drank chocolate milk and Gatorade. Yeah. And uh, oh, and it, and it does mention that he was uh, he took he tried uh, he tried to take catnaps by ignoring the cracking of bubbles uh, by wearing a full face mask. He communicated using a magnetic drawing board and a self-contained underwater loudspeaker dubbed Skull S C U L. Uh, he saw sharks, sea turtles, lobsters, and tropical fish kept him entertained. Uh, his next record-breaking attempt traveling from Lake Worth to Bimini in the Bahamas on an underwater scooter next year. That could be interesting and fun. Did no, you I want, find out what depth he was at here? They didn't. They said he was, what, 250 yards offshore? Yeah. That's like, what, quarter mile? Yeah. Well, I wonder if that's part of it, if that why they picked the artificial reef, because maybe they were allowed to set something on it, or maybe there was a platform out there. You know, maybe that's uh, like a resort reef, and they've got a platform for lessons or something. Uh, I, I would imagine you'd at least had a, a, a large anchor and a buoy on top, so one, you'd always know where he's at. And he'd have something to tag off to if the current was fast. Yeah, that that would make sense. I'm noticing he's only beating the records by like five minutes, so he's he's giving himself plenty of uh, opportunity to uh, re-break his own record. Well, especially when he said it wasn't a major problem. Pretty easy, is what he said. Yeah. And he did keep the purity in it, though. He didn't use a hot water suit. You yeah, know, he was, was he was in a wetsuit, so. Yeah, because with that, you would have needed uh, surface support, so he, he didn't do that. It was strictly scuba. Uh-huh. But I am curious why he didn't use a dry suit. Well, yeah. never mind, I just answered my own question. Oh. <laughs> I wanted to keep it dry. <coughs> well, you can do a valve. Well, yeah, yeah, for some things. Okay, now the, here's uh, here's one. Again, not necessarily entirely scuba, but uh, some underwater sports. Or some of the most unusual. This one was from Yahoo.com. The top 10 under oddest underwater sports. And the first one was underwater target shooting. And uh, it's a competitive sport where participants gear up in the following equipment. Fins, gloves, masks, narco, weight belt. And they do have a link to YouTube for the underwater shooting championships. You've never done underwater blowguns yet? No. Oh, no. my gosh. What have you been doing all your life? I don't know. I You'd think my dive buddies would would let me know about this. Yeah, you've got your regular, you've got your Hawaiian slings. you got your regular um, band guns, you know, rubber band guns. You can try blow guns, hmm. slingshots. <laughs> huh. No, I, I haven't certain, tried this. Certain, methods of, uh, certain weapons, such as some nine mils I know will shoot underwater. Yeah. Now, now uh, I, I've got some dive buddies who we've talked about taking some... Uh, objects to places and shooting them underwater yeah yeah but uh no i i know i didn't even thought though but i didn't think of it as a sport so uh, another one was underwater football similar to underwater polo uh they have underwater walking um the world record was set in august of this year which i can't yeah underwater walking doesn't sound that exciting which is walking with a weighted ball underwater tennis now that one i i, I might like that one uh, scuba divers in Chelsea, UK, uh, were doing it in the the 3.8 million gallon aquarium. So Seems like the uh, ping pong would be easier to do. Ping pong, would yeah. If you had a neutrally buoyant ball, that would be another one. It wouldn't require and put holes in the pad a little bit, so you'd have less. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. Yeah, that maybe that's what we need to do. We need to do underwater ping pong. We'll have to get something. Maybe that's something for uh, one of these uh, quarry owners to set up. Or uh, inland pool. Yeah, an inland pool. <laughs> Uh, another one, number five, is underwater pumpkin carving. That would make that okay. would make sense. We've seen that. Yeah, we know that. That happens. Yep. Underwater wrestling. Now that was one uh, I, I I linked to a website, and that was just plain brutal uh, sport. Uh, underwater dancing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, underwater bike riding. Yeah, we've seen that in the news before. Yeah. Uh, underwater cycling, which I would think that was underwater bike riding, but. Uh, but we've and, seen that under the ice, though, upside down, so you've got a surface, not on the stationary. Oh, okay. Now, that and would the be same, with the, same with the skiing. Wasn't skiing in here, too? Because it should have been. No, nope, they on didn't the have that one up. in. But yep. the last one they have is underwater hockey, which we've, we've seen a few versions of that. Well, they don't have some of the stuff we used to have. Well, let, let, let's add to it. What, what did we do? Well, we had the tug-of-war. Oh, tug-of-war. That, that's a nice one. We used to do an aquathon. That was one of our items. Yes. That was a real chore, let me tell you. Yep, that'd be a good one. Yeah. Uh, but that yeah, is, you, you could do underwater darts. Yeah. 
Just way to do that. Okay. And then probably the best one, which uh, Rich and Diver Sink scooped us on this one, but I had to talk about it because this is just so exciting this time of the year to be talking about river diving. And could you just imagine, you know, here we're about the oldest we're going to find is 200, maybe 300. If you're lucky, which I don't know, has anybody found uh, arrowheads underwater around here? I'm sure they have. I mean, so that would be the only way you're going to get much above older than 300 years around here. Well, now Fort St. Joe, I mean, now you're getting to maybe what, three, 350, maybe? If you could find some, yeah, you're talking now, yeah, 17s. But uh, this next article, Britain's largest collection of Roman offerings to the gods arrives at the British Museum. This was a huge haul collected by two divers over 25 years, consisting of 3,000 objects, including coinage, jewelry, furniture fittings, pottery vessels thrown into the river as offerings. Uh, two divers, Rolf Mitchelson and Bob Middlemass, occurred the collection in the River Tees in the county, uh, close to where the Roman fort once stood. And the photos are absolutely amazing. Uh, Roman coins... Uh, different objects. They have a ring. Oh my gosh, look at that ring. And I, I can't even tell what that stone is. And look at the mounting. I mean, that was yeah. a serious mounting. And I'm guessing that's probably uh, the meaning that was probably pretty pure gold that you had to do a mounting like that. I imagine that is gold. I'm trying to figure what the one under it is. Well, the, the thing under it, uh, what that is, that's a what they called a curse tablet which is where lead capsules were thrown in the water, wishing people either good or bad health. So, ah. so that's what that looks like. Uh, oh, and then uh, then another one was a Roman scabbard. That would uh, be cool. So uh, what, what they're trying to do is they're trying to figure out how all that stuff got there. And what they're thinking is that there were bridges uh, as they were doing research and that all these things are collected along there. And at one point they thought the bridge was to an island where the island had since you know, eroded away, and that's where many of these offerings had just uh, what was left after the island had gone. Uh, and they even speculate that one of the bridges may have been prehistoric and that the Romans ad- adapted it after they uh, took over parts of England. Wow. So cool. So more than 1,800 years ago in England, they just I like how they do their antiquities over there where you, know, you, you report it. If they want it, they buy it. So that, that seems like that'd be a little bit better than what we're doing here. Seems fair, doesn't it? It does. It. I mean, if it's worth that much, let's go ahead and get it. If it's in the public interest, then the public should be interested in it. You know, if you're going to do the research and recovery, the effort, the you know, even make a requirement that you're going to have to, uh, you know, conserve it. You know, if you're if you're going to sell it to them, you got to pay for the conservation and, you know, point of negotiation. But at this point, we're just letting stuff rot away. Stuff's just yep. disintegrating, disappearing, losing any sense of context that the artifacts have. I mean, and I can understand why they want it. They don't, they don't want people just out there raping, grabbing stuff. But just you can add just a little bit of regulations around it. And I I sent you a link since I also like to metal detect both on the surface and under the water. Mm -hmm. One here is uh, another one is the biggest haul of Roman gold in Britain. Oh yes. Heard about that one? I, I have. I've watched the show on it. That was the one where you had the the metal collector walking across the farmers' fields. And uh, he just happened to find it, and uh, was it like after three days, he was just about a nervous wreck. <laughs> he had all these bags full of gold, but the largest Roman hoard found in Great Britain. I mean, and that right. was just a dream. I mean, if you the, I think the BBC and Discovery had a couple specials on it, and nice guys found the gold. They did it, and they it looked like they were treated fairly. I. I might think they didn't quite get full value, but, you know, there's a such thing as being greedy. I mean, you could have easily only found a few coins and had a couple thousand dollars. So overall, I think they did okay. Uh, they each well, ended up with 1.6 million pounds. So probably about the two, two and a half million. I, I could take some of that. They had one of the articles that uh, a Roman gold coin hoard was found equal to the weight of two full grown men. And there was another article in that area uh, that was in October of 210, where treasure hunters found a 2.3 million pound Roman helmet. That's what that was worth. Wow. So you're not there with your metal detectors, guys, but around here you're not going to find that. Now, you're not going to find, if you find a Roman horde 
Oh my gosh. <laughs> that, that would be something. But with the price of gold, do you think that the, uh, you know, whoever bought that, if it was the British Museum or just the British government, they've actually made out. Mm-hmm. I mean, on paper, uh, you know, the way the gold price has been, it's it's been a good deal for them. Oh, absolutely. The, the closest thing we're, we're going to have around here that is near us and has been sort of found before will be the Indian burial grounds because they've been here thousands of years. Yeah. And in fact, we are pretty close to a couple of them. Well, I know there are some in in uh, Marion County, but uh, what we what we did when we went over the land and turned it into farmland is we just knocked the, the burial grounds down and uh, put them in a the crop. So <laughs> basically, that's exactly what we did in a lot of them. Yeah, yeah. They used to have then. Uh, uh, then we got some archaeologists in the area who've done some research in them, but they used to be in different shapes. Now there was a mound builders, and uh, they pre-existed the Indians who were here when uh, the Westerners came, but uh, they so they don't they really don't have any good information on what was in them or or anything else. But uh, they've been long gone, uh, well over a hundred years now. Yep. So, but yeah, I, I love all that stuff, the archaeology and the metal detecting. Uh, our, our friend in the uh, mud club who metal detects uh, has he been seeing an uptick in people picking up collectors? Uh, I'm sorry, say again? Our friend in the mud club who sells metal detectors, is, has he said anything about people buying more metal detectors now? I, I don't really think he saw a, you know, a rabid increase. Uh, he'd done pretty well, but he went out there and he did a lot of not just metal detecting, but he was in for gold, uh-huh. meaning using gold dredges. And a lot of that, though, he was actually going more down south, down to the Tennessees and down to the warmer climate where you can do a lot more of it. And areas where they have a lot more gold. Michigan doesn't have a lot unless you're in the UP. Yeah, I, I never thought of Michigan as being much of a, a gold center. It isn't. I mean, you got some copper again, but that's up north. And from the aspect of me, I'd be up there looking at the camps that the people lived in to uh, actually dig that kind of stuff. Because that goes into where you talk about uh, down in the Carolinas, they do diving in outhouses mm-hmm. that are 100, 200. Those are wonderful if you can get into them because you've got lots of wonderful glass and stuff. You can also uh, pick up an, an interesting form of tuberculosis that way, too. So you got to keep up on your shots. Oh, if you're up yeah. north, the cool one is if you've got a little, you got a little bit of big ones, you put a tripod about where they had the wells at for their water, and you let the diver down upside down by his feet, and he goes down. And it's amazing what they've been pulling out because the, the old guys used to put things in buckets, put their drinks down to get them cool, the ropes or the bucket would fall over. So I used to have a nice picture of the guy who was up there doing some hunting. They let him down into the well, and you cannot believe the stuff that guy brought up that had been down there for collected over 60 or 70 years. Well, did you see the, uh, oh, it was in Central America, uh, that group of tech divers who were going oh, yeah. down, and they were going into old wells and cisterns and underwater streams. And documenting it, and they were doing what I would call extreme cave diving, and the artifacts that they found. They they would go into the town and ask people where their water supply was, and then they would dive in. And you figure that for many cases, thousands of years, people have been living, and you know, and they need that water. So some had been shrines, there had been burials. Uh, so yeah, they that 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 makes sense. I mean, you, well, they. They were saying that some of those places, the water level was actually up to 300 feet lower than it is. So where it looked like a lot of caves and stuff, like how did they get there? That was dry land long, long time ago. But I, I mean, that would be great to be down. I'm not going to be diving 300 foot in a cave though. No. Straight no. down, I mean. Yeah. Your deco must be terrible. Yeah, but yeah. to find something that's like, God, 2,000, 3,000 years old, and you know that at one time that was dry land, that'd be awesome. That would be. Uh, John in the chat room is uh, asking, how much do underwater metal detectors cost? As much as you want to pay. <laughs> well, because uh, uh, Wolf has one. What, what's what's that one there? That would be about a, a $500 one? or oh, No, no, no. You're talking 1500 to 2000 Okay. Yeah, that's a very nice one, though. And if, if you hadn't said that, I could have told you the type it is, but I can't. That's not a Fisher, is it? No, it's not a Fisher. So uh, Fisher, Fisher makes one, which theirs are probably... I think I've seen those in the $2,500 to $3,000 range. Yeah, you, but you're talking about the toe behinds and stuff like this, too. Well, but, but Fisher also makes, I think, a, a, a traditional one. Right. 
yeah, Dave says if Wolf says it's probably 30 years old. <laughs> not not quite that old, but we know what you're getting at. Okay. Well, even if you don't use a metal detector, believe it or not, if you just take one of those new uh, magnets they have that has like a 50-pound pole and an mm-hmm. eyelet on it, it's amazing what you can find in the river with just a magnet. I don't know if anybody's tried that out there, but it can be fun. If you're in a sandy spot, too, and I'll, I'll use us for an example. If you're out there looking for that anchor in sand, as long as it's not too deep, you'd be surprised what you might find with an anchor or with a just with a good hand magnet. Well, I, I know in Pawpaw, you know, and we've been diving in the bottom, if somebody was in a boat and just dragged uh, one of those magnets on the bottom, they'd be able to pull up a lot of what we were getting. I think so. Yeah. I mean, as long as it's ferrous and that will stick to the magnet. Because yeah, yep. it's mostly, especially in some of these inland lakes and ponds, that's that's mostly muck on the top. Yeah. So your magnet's going to go right right on through that muck and drag along the bottom. Yeah. As long as they go slow, so they don't break our bottles. Yeah. Don't. Yeah. Don't break the bottles, please. So yeah, we 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 just need to come up with a bottle magnet. <laughs> yeah. You find something that's going to attract glass, and you're going to make a lot of money, buddy. <laughs> so that does it for the news. Uh, we'll go ahead and talk about some. Did you happen to get a dive in the last week? I would have liked to, but this week uh, we did not. I did not. I've been working on that trailer, mm-hmm. so I've been trying to rebuild that so I can get out with the uh, with the shanty. Oh, no, you say working on the trailer, so you bought a trailer? Well, I got I got one from uh, Mr. Dave, Mr. Faulkner. Oh, okay. Yeah, went out in the, out in the field, wasn't using <laughs> it, so he gave it to me. Uh, so I did get it home, and uh, it's basically being rebuilt because it needed to be. Okay. But, uh, at least I have a frame to start with. So that's good. So that you, you've been working on that. The river has pretty much been out of commission just with all the rain we've had and low visibility. So it doesn't make sense to be trying to get in the river. Well, I know I, that. I have, I have checked it, and I said Mary Beth and I am going to get out there with her. But uh, this week was not a good week for her, meaning it is two zero vis for her. She's still pretty new to that. Mm-hmm. But uh, we will be getting out hopefully this week, next week for sure. Yep. And then the, uh, we were also looking at uh, a lake up in uh, Dwajek, but I take it that we haven't been able to find access to it yet. You're talking about the quarry? Yep. Uh, Jim went out there last Saturday, uh, did an exploratory, and uh, I got on Google, did the maps, and found a couple of paths, uh, which is all academic, because by the time he got out there and did that, he ran into Richard Curtis, who runs that place. He says, come on back, I've drove it before. And it's oh. like, well, duh. Nobody told us that. So it basically, they were thinking it was like 90 feet deep. And that's uh, what I understand. I haven't talked to Richard. It's 27 feet deep, a little different than 90. Uh, the silty bottom and the visibility is good during the spring and fall, just about like everywhere else. So a shallow. Now, that is a quarry, though? That's what he said. Hmm. Uh, I haven't looked at it, so I don't know if it's a square quarry or, or not, or just a dugout area. So, so when they're saying quarry, is this a quarry like a rock quarry or one just more gravel using for roads and they made a hole? It sounds like the gravel one. Uh, again, I haven't talked to them, but I tried looking it up on the net also. And the reference to any quarries in that area are, they say quarries for rock. Not not like big rock, but like you were saying, gravel. Uh-huh. So if, if that's the one that I'm looking at, then it's more of a dug hole for the, for the gravel. Hmm. Okay. And the reason it's full is if you look at the uh, airport runway there in uh, Dwajak, and then you see the road that's by the uh, sewage plant, you'll see a um, not a river exactly, but a large stream goes through. And then there's a section by the airport they use for drainage, and that will all bleed into that hole and fill it up. Ah. So I don't think it's like a spring. It just because of the low ground and everything feeding into it and that stream that goes by to the creek and out. Yeah. So, okay, well, that's but that's still a good spot. Always looking for nice local holes to go diving in. Yeah, Kurt uh, gave me a call, asked if I knew anything about it, and if anybody's diving it, let them know. Okay. So, yeah, I, I might be interested. And then also I've heard a rumor that maybe this weekend there might be the last boat dive of the season. Uh, Bob's talking about going out to Diamond Lake. Oh, God, going to go out there and look at the the little shipwreck out there? Yep, the uh, steam uh, steam shipwreck, the, the South, South Bend. South Bend. Mm-hmm. Yep. So. Uh, 40 foot. Yep. Diamond Lake. It's uh, a lake. It has a little island in the middle. Very touristy. 
Uh, if you do a search on it, you can find some photos. Uh, it was used in car ads, actually. I'd seen a photo of a car ad. They had a little chain ferry that went back and forth from the island. And I think that still might be running. And if you go, it, it's pretty much down now. But if you go to our site, we already have pictures, airport or uh, aerial pictures, a uh, good mm-hmm. number up. And there you can actually see the uh, path for that. And there's pictures of it with the ice around it. And a couple that you can actually see the bottom because it's really a shallow lake, except it's probably less than 20 foot deep, 65, 70%. Mm -hmm. Around that one part of the island that you got that 40 and 50 foot holes or depth. Yeah. So it's a a nice, it's usually one of our early season boat dives. You know, it's a nice lake to get the boats broken in on. And, you know, if you like to do some water skiing, it's not bad for that either. So uh, they're talking about doing that. Bob's even saying if there's enough divers, he'd, he'd shuttle people back and forth. It's He thought it was close enough to where he'd be able to, to get them in. But he thinks this will be the last one of the year before he officially winterizes the boat. Too bad the big lake won't be flat. That might be a real nice time to go out and take a look and see what the storms did. Yes, that would be. That would really drive me, uh, make me curious. But like you said, I don't think we're going to get uh, it flat. I looked, uh, I, I drove by the lake one day this week and I'm like, yeah, that wouldn't be too bad. But this time of year, it's just awful chancy. Yeah. If we could launch from uh Bridgman area, that would be really good. Yeah. That w- that would be nice. We still have to figure that out. I need to get out there and, and do some sightseeing on it. So, so it looks like there's a little chance of getting some diving in this weekend. Yeah. I'd like to get in, get in for a little bit. As would I. So, and, uh. Gosh, it seems to be a little bit of a of a light week this week. Well, I think it's getting near Christmas, and everybody out there spending all their money on uh, Christmas presents. Uh, I did pick up my wife something today, and I, I, I hate to go into department stores this time of year. Oh, yes. Something about that. I, I get the bah humbug syndrome. And... Yep. I certainly can understand that. I'm, I'm, I'm not much of a shopper this time of the year either, but kind of a, almost a requirement, it seems, uh, online. You know, support your local dive centers, of course, but uh, it's awful hard to stay away from the online when it uh, you don't have to go in and brave the stores. So uh, maybe one of my other projects, can, uh, convincing local dive shops to get uh, their e-commerce sites up. So maybe that's my plug for this week. If you're a dive shop and you want to get on online with e-commerce, give me a call. I'll give you a hand. So uh, Well, I plan on hitting SAS's next week. I'm mm-hmm. going to be down that way. I'm going to take some pictures of their place, and then I'm going to hit... Um, <clears throat> hopefully riches uh that same day take some pictures yeah i was yeah. talking to jeremy down at wolf's today mm-hmm. and uh, if you haven't been down there they've been moving stuff around so they can do repairs in the shop on zodiacs i saw that because it's, it's a little warmer than outside and uh and he's still waiting by by the way uh for a call from you to do a phone interview on uh dima yeah we got i got distracted with uh the shipwreck find so actually i do need to call him uh, if you happen to get his number again, somewhere I've got a business card for him, but it's... I I do have the number. I'll email that, that to you tonight. I was going to anyway. Okay, that'll be great because uh, I, I know he gave me a business card, but I have no idea where I put it. Yep, so I got that for you. And um, he's, he was saying, by the way, since we came in there, did you have any suggestions on how they could better rearrange the shop? And that's oh. why I told him I'd take some pictures. And I, I, I got the pictures of Moby's shop. I'm going to do sasses and them and then... Uh, Give them some ideas by looking at what the competition does. Oh, certainly. Yep, certainly. Uh, uh, there's, I, I got plenty of ideas. I, uh, in between my careers in computer technology, I did a stint in retail. So, uh, as as so's Mac. <laughs> yep. We both went to the dark side for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing yeah. like hawking wares for a living. I wish I'd have known Fred Myers a long time ago. Yeah, yeah, he 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 did it. He'd end up doing okay, didn't he? Five billion, I think so. Yeah, not too bad. Between Fred Myers and the Waltons, they uh, Waltons. That's Walton, isn't it? Yeah, Sam Walton. Yeah, Walmart. Yeah, yeah. yeah Wal- Walmart. So between those two, they didn't they didn't do too bad. No, but I'd love to have one of them for a sponsor. Yeah, yeah. Well, so uh, so uh, Myers or Walmart, if you want to sponsor, uh, we'll give you the address right to uh, to that and you can sponsor the Mud Club and the Scuba Obsessed Podcast. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll paint our boats whatever color you want and whatever signs you want on the side. And I'll wear your Walmart on my jacket. Yeah, we'll we'll, ha- we'll do uh, wetsuits and everything. So we, we, the name of the boat will be Walmart Special. <laughs> yeah, 
I like that. We should well, copyright that one, though, just in case. Yeah, well, when you think about it, you know, they don't they have the uh, the what do they call those rollback prices? You know, you could, you know, we roll back into the water when you're getting in. That's true. True. Yeah, we could come up with something really creative for them guys. I think Jim is online now. I just saw him pop up. He must be out of class. Yep. So. I am a little envious of Dave, though, damn it. Yeah, damn it. Dave. Uh, I mean, we have Dave Tonneman in the chat room, but we're talking about uh, Dave uh, Cheese Fry. No, I was talking about Dave in the chat room. Oh, really? I want to go to St. Clair, man. Are you kidding? Oh, he's going to St. Clair, but okay. then you didn't see what. Uh, bottles last week just made me want to rush yeah. over there and jump in the water with them. Yeah, we, we got to do that. We got to get better at planning events and, and getting over there and getting some of those dives in. But uh, no, but our, our Dave in the Mud Club, he he actually is diving in Florida this weekend. Yeah, he, he gave me a call and said, you know, we can be in the water on Sunday. And he's talking about things like fish, visibility, sharks, manta rays, turtles. He's trying to corrupt you. That's what he does. Uh, yeah, he's trying to make me go to the dark side. Now, has he? Uh, I wouldn't know how to act. Yeah. Not that I do anyway. You know, now, do, do uh, mud divers who don't have any visibility, do we get afraid when we can see everything all at once? I think so. I mean, it's, you know, he doesn't like alligator snappers because he can't see him. I'd be more afraid if I could see him. Yes. This way I'm just bumping around in the dark, and if I bump, I scare him. He scares me, and we both go opposite directions. Did we just lose somebody? I don't know. I, I We could hear somebody talk in the background. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I don't know how I'd really react to the sharks and stuff. I mean, back when I was in San Francisco and diving and working in the bay, you know, you always saw stuff afterwards, but you weren't looking. You were out there doing something. So Lord knows how, if I'd been close to one or not, I wouldn't have a clue. Yeah, I wouldn't know what to do with all that visibility. But I wouldn't mind it either. I'm going to give it a try. I told him I'd go with him one of these... Uh, January, February, I'm going to run down there with them. Yeah, Dave in the chat room is saying we need to get to the Moorhead trip. So I agree with you there. We got to get to that one. So plenty of dives. We're not running out of dives. Uh, we just hit, we've kind of had a bad river season. I think last year we got a lot more river diving in than we have this year. Well, speak for yourself. I got a lot of river diving in. <laughs> <laughs> you did. Well, it helps when you're when you're going five six days a week. Well, yeah, we had some we had some good times. Uh, Ken was able to take some vacation. And we did hit the, the river and Indian Lake in a few places really heavy this year. Really enjoyed it. Yeah. Got a, an invite to go dive uh, for submarines. Really? Yes, I did. Mm. It's in Australia. <laughs> but since my daughter may be going there next year, I may be going to dive some submarines there. Well, there you go. You'll have to give us a report when you go. Yeah, they, they said, do you want to go to the Great Barrier Reef or look at submarines? And it's like, let me think about, yeah, submarines sounds good. You have to choose between them? Well, where she's going to be at, where the subs are, and then where the Great Barrier is. It's a lot easier to get to the submarines from where she's going to be at. Oh. Well, uh, and since we talked about Australia, a uh, friend of the show, Craig, uh, he, he had gone, uh, did, did you happen to see him on Facebook where he had done the, the photos of going to, I think it was Iceland or Greenland. No, I didn't see that. Oh, amazing photos. Absolutely amazing. And then the day afterwards he gets into a car wreck and was hospitalized. He's okay. He's okay. He's, he's doing fine now. Uh, but it, uh, I mean, his wife was, was posting updates and it was kind of scary. It was, uh, you know, it was enough to be hospitalized. Uh, wow. he's, he's hoping, uh, he's, he's out of the hospital now. He's hoping to be able to, uh, get back into diving. Uh, but, uh, he, one of the injuries he sustained, which seems to me be an unusual injury to have in a car accident, but the, uh, tympatic membrane, I'm, I'm mispronouncing it, but in the ear, you still there, Mac? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. In, in the ear tore. So what? on the, the scuba obsessed Facebook page, he posted, uh, asked it if he would still be able to dive, and I did some looking up on the Dan website, and they said provided that it can be healed, it will you know uh, he can get back and dive again. But uh, you know he's got to get better, so he he's looking at maybe you know multiple months, three, four, five months, and not being able to dive while he heals. My goodness, sounds like some kind of pressure uh, damage, you know? Yeah, I'm just like an implosion or something like this that really screwed that up. Yeah, he, uh, Dave's telling me in the in the chat room that uh, Craig just got back home this morning. So Craig, if you're listening, hope hopefully you're doing better. 
And and of, of all the irony, he came to the U.S. He had been traveling. He, he went to San Francisco. He went to New Year, uh, not New Year's, to New York on Black Friday. He was and he was what on Black Friday? On Black Friday, he went to Macy's. You know, it's like you you can go to Macy's Ground Zero for Black Friday. Yeah. Well, hey, wait a minute. If he went from California to there, he could have stopped here and visited us. To ask him why he didn't do that, he wouldn't have slid off an icy road at least that time. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear that, that he's, he's doing good. Hopefully he'll have a very speedy recovery that's not debilitating for his diving. Yeah, so yeah, uh, speedy recovery, get well soon. Uh, he looked rough in the in the photos, but, uh, you know, maybe, maybe it's a price you got to pay for a really nice vacation. Uh, no. No? <laughs> no, let's hope not. So, but, uh, yeah, so Craig, get, get well soon. Uh, you can follow us over on Facebook. You can go to facebook.com forward slash Obsessed. You can follow us on Twitter at Scuba Obsessed. Also, you can follow me at Darren Jolson, D-A-R-R-I-N-J-I-L-L-S-O-N. Haven't been too chatty. Uh, my voice is actually holding out much better than I thought, but I, I, I'm fighting the sniffles. We're getting that time of the year where you, you get the sniffles and kind of messes with diving, too. So I'm hopefully, about the time I'm going to be able to get a dive in, I'm going to be all congested. Got all your flu shots done? I haven't done the flu shot uh, with the employment changes we've had at work. Uh, they no longer bring in for the flu shot, so now i got to go track it down. And then mm. they've got, it's like a whack-a-mole trying to figure out what place you can go to that they're actually going to pay for the shot. Yeah. Because they're telling me that Walgreens, we can't go to Walgreens because they're too expensive for shots. you got to go to other places. So what, what, I got mine at Walgreens. Well, Walgreens gives the shots, but yeah. they don't give the discounts that the medical companies want for the shot. So, in fact, we're even losing Walgreens as a yeah, get, get, get stuff. prescription provider. So, yeah. So, I got, yeah, I got to get my flu shot. I've had a flu shot just about every year, uh, and I swear by them. I, I know some people say they get sick. Well, if you get sick with a flu shot, don't get it. But I'm big time in the vaccinate, vaccin, vaccination. Whew, easy to say. So, uh, also, uh, make sure you head, head on the Mud Club site. If you haven't had a chance to visit there, we have the videos from the the shipwreck. Uh, we don't have the actual club video up, but we do have some of the articles. And Mac, you were on the radio this week, weren't you? Uh, actually, yes. I did a uh, an interview with WKZO. I think it was uh, maybe Tuesday. Everything's running together. And uh, it was a morning show they have there, and they wanted to hear about the wreck. So we put a nice little plug in. They were impressed. Excellent. And uh, hopefully that'll stimulate a little more conversation and considerations for assistance for the uh, maritime preserve excellent excellent and then and then i saw something that uh someone was saying that the preserve has agreed to take on the wreck as a project that is correct my understanding they're going to be doing archaeological digs uh this year there so i'm sure they'll want some assistance from the muddies and if nothing else i'm sure they would uh, like to borrow any kind of equipment that might be available to help them do something like that Hmm. So that'll be good. They'll be right back. Uh, they'll be right down in our neck of the woods. So yes, absolutely. So what we need to well, actually what we need to do is get somebody with a six pack license, and then you have some chartering opportunities. Well, we have Mr. Bob, and he'll be back for the summer. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Get the what the was that what's his his ship's name? Uh, it's the LC. The LC. So yeah, he yep. might need to run it's her out of St. Joe. Fishing tug. Well, he's uh, out of South Haven, but I know that if he was going to be doing any kind of uh, charter out there, especially for big groups, he'd bring that baby down to St. Joe, cut down your travel time a lot. Yeah, yeah, that certainly would. So that'll be excellent. So keep an eye out for that. We'll we'll post information on if you want to participate in the archaeological dig of Max Wreck. Not, not that we want to rename it some, from that, but it'd be nice to put a name to the wreck. Absolutely. I'd love to find out, but... I promised people we would have two more by the end of next year, and that's going to be a minimum. I, two more. I, I, I think we're going to have two. How, how about we go for four? Well, I, I'm pretty much going to guarantee you two of them, but four <laughs> would be nice. Four will be nice. So uh, looking forward to a great season of diving. That's going to that's going to happen here real soon. Yeah, so, I'm going to hopefully be using this next three months to get really squared away and uh, have a good dive plan out, get some support, and then hit that sucker hard and hit it running. Okay, but if if you're if you're a certified diver and you're missing a dive buddy, now's the time to build one. Go find somebody, one of your friends, convince him to go take scuba diving. Uh, if you haven't learned to certified, you're just listening to the program, but you don't know what scuba diving is like, 
Go get a friend. Both take the class together. What a better way to do it. And now's the time to get started. The dive shops would like to see you in December. And honestly, by the time you get through the classwork, uh, get your gear all selected out, get your open water certification, you're going to be smack dab in the diving season. For us, diving season never ends. But uh, if you haven't done it before, you might want to do it right. You know, get ready to your open water just when it starts to get warm. And then Dave in the chat room is saying, good time to get your gear serviced. But, uh, you know, you you do that every year. Uh, But the best best thing to do is, is not even let that gear wind down use it all year round and uh we've got to make sure we get our december dive in uh it's uh we're we're approaching our is this the second weekend of december already yes it is already uh saturday will be the 10th yep and then you got christmas so if you haven't gotten your december dive in you got to do it here pretty soon because before you know it we'll be into january right we we planned on a pre-dive on the 17th of december uh tentative right now that's going to be the uh whirlpool basin because Depending on the ice, we'll either have it there for the New Year's, and it's nice if you've dove it before, in case we do have some skim ice anyway. And if we have ice, it's going to be over in Singer, Singer Lake. Now, you mentioned that Whirlpool Basin isn't far from where that vessel would have run aground. That's correct, matter of fact. So that'd be interesting to just to kind of do a little exploratory. How much did the bottom come out? Because that, that was fairly deep there, wasn't it? Yeah, it was last time I had really looked at it for depth. We had like 23, 24 feet. Yeah. Because right where we turned the corner at the basin, that's where the big concrete ship comes in to offload. Yeah. But where she went aground is when she went past that, down to the turning basin by the island to let the uh, her cargo off there is where she was going to go. Oh, okay. Well, that kind of makes sense. That's a little bit closer to where the river's shallow. Yes, and narrower. Yep. So, well, I'll be interested to see what the bottom looks like. So, need, need to get your dives in. If you don't have a plan for December, you need to get them in. If you haven't been certified, let's get certified. Uh, and also join a dive club, like the Mud Club. So anybody wants to join the Mud Club, we'll, we'll take members. Oh, absolutely. Uh, like Wolf just started a new class, matter of fact, last week, open Excellent. water diving. Uh, if you don't know where to go, if there's no dive clubs in the area, check your local fire department. Because a lot of them have rescue teams, responder teams. Um, and matter of fact, of the seven that are in the next class, I think four of them are from one particular fire department which happens to be down by Indian Lake. I won't mention the fire department, but there's a yep. lot of people out there. Tag with somebody. Yep. Get some diving in. So I think that just about does it for this week. I'd like to thank everybody for listening. I, I don't actually have a joke this week. I, I haven't had a chance. I've been uh, tied up with work. So if you happen to have a joke, send it my way. Uh, I got to do some digging up uh, my, my backlog. Let me check before I say I don't. Maybe I got something here in the back of the jokes. Darren, I've got to unmute and interject here. Uh-huh. Uh, Yitka posted one today on Facebook. Jitka posted what? A joke. Really? Really? So let's let's go oh, ahead. Sure. And... In fact, if you if you if you want to read it, Dave, why don't you go ahead and read it? We'll uh, let you do a guest joke. I'm scrolling back trying to find it. This way we can share the blame. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the, the death threats get a little bit old, so you just you kind of have to spread those around a little bit. We need to get the ladies back, because she had a great one that time. Uh, Tara, yes. Uh, oh, yeah. And we'll, we'll have the chat room back up and working. I'll, I'll have to work through some of these technical issues. We'll get the chat room back on. Thank for everybody who's head in the chat room. And what we did since the, chat, the talk show gave me a little bit of fits is, we brought them into Skype so they could still listen in. And the chat room has been going like crazy. It's been scrolling uh, like a video game. So thanks for everybody coming and, and listening. It's much appreciated. Uh, well, what are they talking about? I don't see that. I'm, I'm strictly on Skype. Yeah, no. The, I mean, they've been, you name it, they've been talking about it. Uh, UFOs? Not quite UFOs. Darn. Uh, there, I think we they talked about poop at one point in time. Do you know they did have some sightings here this year already? UFOs? Oh, absolutely. Over Lake Michigan. Ah. North of us. North of us. In the Triangle area. Nice. So, uh, any... I believe the poop was directly related to the finding treasure. Finding treasure. Oh, that was the, uh, if somebody found uh, the hoard, the gold hoard. That's what they'd have done. Yes, I believe I posted, I would have pooped myself. Yeah, I, I think that was it. Well, I have found Yitka's joke. Okay, we'll, we'll go for it. So, I don't know, everybody... I, I will give credit, Yitka Hanakova. Uh, so, Ole asks Sven, why do scuba divers always fall backyards off their boats? 
to which Sven replies, Phil, if they fell forwards, they'd still be in the damn boat. Yes, <laughs> that qualifies. Yep, yep, that 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 is uh, that, that's a bad one. <laughs> I felt that, that would meet the requirements of the bad scubajo. That does absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, the, the the chat room agrees. A nice one, Dave. We're we're gonna have to get a plaque started, you know, don't you? For the honors for the worst joke. <laughs> worst joke, yeah. Well, I, I, we've talked about that. Maybe we need to do a we need a scuba obsessed intern to go through the, all the past episode and stitch them together so uh, we could have all numbered have everybody vote on them and we could have a, an award ceremony for the for the worst joke so we'll see who stands out as king or queen king. yes so until next time go out there and get wet and stay safe And that does it.